Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today, I have a show on what do I want to teach my son? Words for my son. And really, this is more a question of, you know, as dads, how do we raise men? How do we raise boys? We're going to look at the book of Proverbs. We have to look at the book of Proverbs. I mean, there's, there's full wisdom. Sometimes I'm not going to have the words um, to always know what to tell my son and to... And to uh, I'm always going to be there is what I realize. I'm always going to be there to help him make decisions. Uh, he's going to have to make decisions on his own, but where is he going to find that guidance? Well, at the end of my days, God's going to look at me and say, how did you guide him? You know, did he know how to make decisions for himself? But before we get started on this, let's go ahead and say the angel is here at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, folks, I see a lot of people um, who I speak to, whether it be in therapy sessions or just every day, and I realize that in today's day and age, what do we need more than anything else? What's lacking in our generations and our future generations? Why is the, you know, our political climate the way it is? Why is our society the way it is with so much infighting? And a lot of times what I realize people need, um, especially in their therapy sessions, is just an encouraging word. How many times do we take the time to stop and just talk to each other and say, hey, you're doing okay? Or I love the way you did that. Or, you know, you are a valuable person just because God made you. You as a person are already valuable. Nothing else gives you value. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished, not accomplished in the eyes of the world. You're just a valuable person. How many times do we look at things and say, you know, gosh, we need to build our self-esteem. And we tell people you're perfect just the way you are. In a sense, you are perfect just the way you are. But don't sell yourself short. Don't stop to think about what you can be. You know, if you stay the way you are, then if we all stay the way we are, then we failed. That, that's all, we're, th this is it. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Why? Because I haven't reached the potential that God sees in me. 
And a lot of times that's what we're not hearing in this world. We're hearing that we need a whole lot of different things. We need to get a lot of material things supposedly to be happy. You need more money. You need a nicer car. You need fame. You know, how many times do you, if you ask the youth nowadays, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many people do they actually say, hey, I want to help other people. I want to, I want to go into, you know, good social work and, and I want to uh, do corporate works of mercy. I want to do spiritual works of mercy. I want to make sure that, you know, people come to know Christ. No, what you usually hear is kids say, I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to have my own YouTube channel. I want to have so many likes on social media. You know, that's the sad part with social media too, is that it's anything but social. You know, there's no, there's nothing social about social media. There's an interaction. But if we're going to ask ourselves, what does it mean as human beings, as social creatures, we're supposed to have a, a, a sit down conversation and learn from each other from the conversation. I'm not learning from anybody if I'm on social media. I'm learning about people and I'm not even really learning about people. I'm looking at an artificial uh, environment because all the pictures on social media are of people in perfection. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's got that perfect shot. Everybody's uh, uh, you know, looking with the ocean behind them or whatever it is. And how many of these images are doctored? How much of this is even real? And I think that that's a lot of what we're missing in society today. There's a whole lot of uh, lack of reality that's going on that people are buying into and that we look into it as real. And that's a sad state of affairs to be in because all of a sudden we want to reach out for that. We want to attain something that's not attainable because it's not even there. You know, we think that people really have this perfect life it's not true, but we all of a sudden sell ourselves short because we think that we need to get there and we're failing because we're not perfect and we're judging ourselves by a ruler that's not even there. We're judging ourselves by what other people are doing and that's how we find our value nowadays. That's where, you know, people, the, what I see in the youth is a lack of sense of purpose. There's, there's no purpose in their lives. They're, they're, if, you, if you look at people, if you see online, if you look on the news, you know, unless people are smiling and fully made up or or have these artificial posed images, there's an emptiness, emptiness in their eyes. And I think about this and I worry about my kids and I think, what do they have in society? And I worry about my son and, you know, what am I going to tell him? You know, in particular, both my, my sons and daughters, and what am I going to tell them? You know, as far as, as what words of wisdom do I have? You know, when this world uh, is feeding them all this stuff and who do they choose to believe? Well, I think it's got to start with the idea that you know, we are all okay as human beings. We have a lot of infighting. We're, we're fighting over things that we're sometimes not allowed to question. And, and we really do need to question it because why not? We need to ask ourselves, is this what I'm fighting for? Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? And for my kids, this is where I would say, you got to look at what's real. We got to look at what's true. And we got to look at why we were made and how we were made. Uh, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a man or a woman? And I would sit down with my children and and I think about my son in particular because from a guy to a guy, a lot of times as, as dads, we're not allowed to, um, you know, in society as, as men, we, we're judged in different ways and we're not allowed to be men sometimes. And sometimes it's okay to be a man, you know, and that's what I really want to tell my son. It's, it's okay to be a man. And for women, it's okay to be a woman. Not something that society tells you what a woman is, but the way God made us, you know, as, as men, there's something to be said for the strong, silent type. There's something to be said for the idea of things are not easy and I'm going to um, not suffer in silence, but understand that I don't have to, you know, tell everybody about all my sufferings. Sometimes I have to let it sit there in my heart and, and figure it out. And by speaking about it, it's not going to make it any better, you know. And for women, sometimes it's okay to say, you know, I want to be a woman. 
I want, I want to raise a family and I want to be home with my kids. And that's where I feel my heart is. But society's telling me that if I don't have a job, that if I'm not aiming to be the CEO of a company, that, that, I, that unless I'm ignoring my family to do all these things, I'm not much. But it's okay to say, hey, you know what? I want to have a husband and I want to have a family. And that's good because that's the way God made our hearts. God, how, how else are we going to have future generations? Otherwise, we're just, what, what do we become? You know, we become breeders of people who need to go off and work. And we stop thinking about what it means to be a family and what it means to sit down and spend time together and get to know each other as people. Not as quote unquote productive members of society, but I would say as productive members of God's kingdom. What are we doing as people? What are we doing in our hearts? What are we doing in our souls? You know, what, what is it that we're doing to raise each other up instead of bringing each other down? So I would have some words for my son, my daughters, and I would open the book of Proverbs and sit down. And I think we're going to have to do this as, uh, as a family, you know, especially as they're getting older and understanding certain things and say, this is what really matters. You know, when I look at this, I, uh, I especially think about, you know, how do I tell them what's important? And if I look at the book of Proverbs and I look at chapter one and I look at verse seven and I say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think that that's where it starts. You know, if, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, if that's where we came from, that's where we're going to, then where is our knowledge? What, what is it that I can possibly know that's going to be good? You know, I can know how to uh, build things on this planet, but if I don't know God, what good is that for me? I can know how to run a company and be very materially successful. But if I don't know God, then what do I really know? I knew how to do one thing. And yet God is the owner of all knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why would a fool despise wisdom and instruction? What does wisdom and instruction do? The thing about wisdom and instruction is that it makes us look inward and in a very honest way. And it makes us ask ourselves, is what I'm doing the right thing for me to be doing? I don't know what anybody else is doing, but are my actions the right things for me to be doing? Wisdom and instruction means that I'm going to get instruction. I might have to change my course of life. I might have to change that which I'm doing. And that's scary. It can be scary to, to think of that. But fear of the Lord is not fear, is not being afraid of God. It's saying, I'm going to put my trust in God. And now I'm going to gain true knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and reject not your mother's teaching. For they are a fair garland of your, for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us wantonly ambush the innocent. Like Sheol, let us, shall, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set ambush for their own lives. When was the last time anybody told us that? Don't follow evil men. But in order to do that, we have to sit down and define evil. What is evil? We have to ask ourselves, is there a good? Is there a bad? Those are important questions to ask. More on the book of Proverbs when we get back from the break.
right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about how do we give our youth wisdom? How do we give the current generation something to hope for? How do we give them a sense of self that is beyond uh, the internet, beyond social media, beyond that which they can put up on their uh, 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 social media posts and look for likes and and really get the sense that the world only loves them if they are popular, if they are rich. Is that, that's not the way I grew up. You know, it, it was a different generation and, and we look at things. It's interesting because a lot of times people say they're really afraid with modern technology and this is really the psychology of it all. They're afraid of modern technology. The fear of the modern technology is not what it can do for us or not what, um, how much more advanced it gets until until the fear is, gosh, what if artificial intelligence becomes self-aware? You know, if anybody ever watched the movies of Terminator, there were all these robots that were being made, but all of a sudden what happened down the road, technology all of a sudden became self-aware. It means it became its own entity. It, it, it knew how to think for itself without human being input, without us programming it. And it became self-aware and all of a sudden it took over human beings. And that's really the fear, right? That artificial intelligence will all of a sudden become much more powerful than we are as humans. We created this mess and now it's taken over and it's going to uh, run our lives and it's going to, and we're going to be slaves to it because modern technology all of a sudden becomes its own person, you know, the computers, the robots. And it's interesting because people say, gosh, yeah, that would be scary if that ever happened. My take is that's already happened. Not in the sense that modern technology has uh, become self-aware, but in the sense that it's taken over. How many people are a slave to modern technology? How many people can leave the house without their phone or not log into their social media account or go a day without their email? You know, I'd get home. When I get home, usually I, I kind of put my phone down and I don't check text messages anymore or anything like that. It's family time. I get home from work and it's like the old school days back when even before uh, answering machines, you know, if the phone rang, we would take messages. And we would say, well, you know, they're not here right now. We'll have them call you whenever they get back. And then you'd try to call the person back and you'd play phone tag. Well, we call phone tag now for a while and you'd call back and hope that they were there. And if they're there, great. If they're not, oh, we'll have to call them back later or tell them a good time to call me. Okay. And then we would tell them, hey, you know what? Today is six o'clock. Nobody used the phone. I'm waiting for a, t- a call from Tom and he's going to call me between six and six fifteen because that's what I told him I'd be available. And, and that's where his wife told him to call me. And so now we got to, we got to wait. Don't use the phone. I don't want it to be busy right? We had to do that. But it wasn't this question of, of gosh, now we've got the cell phone that if somebody sends you a text message, it's almost like the cell phone better be connected to your brain and your brain better send waves to the phone. Because if you don't reply back in a few seconds, people are shocked or they think that you're being rude or you're ignoring them. When the reality is, no, I'm not ignoring you. I'm paying attention to my family. Just like in the old days, I put my phone down. I, I leave it to the side. Sometimes I have to take care of a few things if I know it's something pressing, but for the most part, I don't pick up my phone and my friends will say the next day, Hey, I texted you last night. I said, Oh, well, I probably found it this morning. Um, because that's when I'm going to, I'm going to pick up my phone, but are we already slaves to artificial intelligence? Don't we already rely on our emotional well-being based on what our social media account tells us based on how many people liked our post, our picture of a hamburger? You know, if people didn't like it, if people didn't like the idea that, you know, we just made this wonderful pie, well, I, I've never cared if you're making great pie or, or a hamburger other than if we're going to go work together physically and we're going to go sit down and share a meal. Great. Let's talk about what we're going to eat. But we're already slaves to artificial intelligence. 
And it didn't even need to become self-aware. We made ourselves slave. We voluntarily slave ourselves to it. We're worried about the day that computers are going to take over and they're going to have their own knowledge and make us slaves. We are currently voluntarily becoming slaves. So what am I going to tell my kids? Where are you going to get your wisdom? I would say, put all that down, put away, you know, you can read the news, read the headlines, but that's about it because there's so many arguments that are being had uh, out there that really at the end of the day, aren't going to mean a whole heck of a lot. You know, when we get before the throne of God, that it's not going to mean anything. And so I'll open the book of Proverbs and I'll say, Hey, why don't we read a few, a few of my, my daughters and my son, why don't we sit down and we read a few uh, verses here? Let's look at Proverbs chapter six. Let's sit down and see what's really important. It says, this is Proverbs chapter six, verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. And this is what it says. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, false witnesses who breathes out lies, a man who sows discord among brothers. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart always, tie them about your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching of light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of adventures, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For a harlot may be hired for a loaf of bread, but an adulteress stalks a man's every life. Can a man carry fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk upon hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. And if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold, and he will give all the goods of his house. Who he commits adultery has no sense. He who does not destroy him, he who does it destroys himself. Wounds and dishonor will get, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation, nor be appeased through your multiple gifts. You know, it's interesting. Um, these are pretty hard words sometimes to, to listen to, but are you ready to sit down with your kids and tell them, look, this is the truth. You know, there's things that God hates, Right. Um, there's things that are not going to be good for him. My son, look at this. Listen to what, he, what what this is saying. These are wise words. You know, don't have haughty eyes, a lying tongue, a hand that sheds innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness. You know, all these things are important. And then it goes into saying, don't commit adultery. When was the last time we sat down with anybody and said, hey, you know what? Don't commit adultery. And they're going to say, what are you talking about? And really what this is saying is not that that's in your heart necessarily. What it's saying, watch out for the perils of the world. When was the last time we sat with our family and said, hey, you know, especially as I'm thinking about raising a son, listen here, you're going to be, there, there's lots of things in this world. And nowadays, especially with technology, it's so easy to get trapped, uh, you know, in sending messages or things like that, that gosh, nobody has to know, right? But at the end of the day, you might find this temptation and watch out because it's no good. It's a big lie. It's a big lie. You got to be careful with this. You know, the harlot hired for a loaf of bread, but an adulteress stocks a man's every life. You know, you, th you might think that it's, it sounds great for the moment, my son, but 
boy, you're going you're gonna to ruin your whole life. Is it worth it? Is it worth it or not? You know, you can sit there and be blind to all this and be sucked into video games and, and whatnot, but at some point you're going to grow up and you're going to find these things. A worthless person, a wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks his eyes, scrapes his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. You know, this is important to talk about because we read this and we, I think, are always giving warnings to our kids about things like this. Don't commit adultery. You know, or, or actually, got to ask ourselves, are we doing enough to give warnings? But it can go both ways. Don't commit adultery. You know, that's one of them. Be careful. Don't commit adultery. But then for my daughters, same thing. You know, you could be tempted too. Don't, don't commit adultery. Don't, you, you might find yourself in a situation where you feel neglected, where you feel um, that nobody cares about you and, and somebody comes by and they offer you a little bit of consolation. They offer you a kind word. Is that enough for you to feel that, wow, this is really the direction I need to go in? You know, we look at each case individually, but you got to be careful of this. And this is the last thing that I read, the worthless person, a wicked man, crooked speech, winks his eyes, scrapes his feet, points with his finger and with a perverse heart devises evil. We always tell people, be careful of that. Be careful of, of people because there, there can be evil in their hearts. How many times do we say, don't become that, my son, my daughter? We have that potential in our hearts too. We're not perfect. Don't become a worthless person. Don't become a wicked man. Don't, don't go out with a crooked speech and wink your eye and scrape your feet and point your finger and with a perverted heart devise evil. There's a potential for that in all of us, but that's scary. It's scary to think about. We always want to talk to our children from a, from a happy place in our hearts, from a place where we hope that we are on the good side of things. But we've got to remember to warn them, you can easily be on the bad side of things. And why does this even matter? Why do, why do these proverbs even mean anything in today's day and age? Well, I was talking about social media, about the internet. We've got to ask ourselves, are, are we doing what's honest? A false witness who breathes out lies and a man who sows discord among brothers. That's what God hates. It's an abomination to him. Well, is it a false witness for me to post pictures uh, that I know might deceive people? There's nothing wrong with posting happy holiday pictures and the family in front of the Christmas tree or, you know, the family sitting down to a nice Thanksgiving dinner and we post out our food and all that stuff. But are we being honest in our posts? You know, or are we purposefully posting things that we know are deceptive. Did I just stand next to a tree in my front yard and say that I was off on vacation in a tropical jungle, you know, to make people feel that my life is more exciting, to make me feel that my life is more exciting. I think we need to be honest with ourselves. This is where my life is right now. Because if you look out into the world, 99% of people are not having what we, what the world would consider exciting lives, but maybe what God considers exciting life, because the true life is led in the interior world, in the interior life. The interior castle, as St. Teresa of Avila tells us. That's where life is led with, with God. Are we telling our children that? Are we preparing them? Are we helping them to build that interior castle? You know, this passage on adultery and, and, and the easy pitfalls of that in social media, I believe that there is actually a, a website somewhere where it encourages people to have an affair, you know, and you can sign up and it's supposed to be oh so discreet. I, feel, I think a few years back it got... Uh, um, all the memberships were exposed or something like that. And it was a big deal because they said, oh, we promised privacy, but there's no privacy when it comes to these things and it's public. And that can be very, very challenging, very challenging. The book of Proverbs also gives us, let's look at chapter eight, eternity of wisdom. 
Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, in the path she takes her stand, besides the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries out loud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the sons of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O foolish men, pay attention. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all you may desire cannot compare with her. You know, it's interesting how many of us chase wisdom nowadays. In fact, if we were to sit down with our, we were to sit down with our kids and ask them, what do you think wisdom really is? How many of our kids would have an answer for that? What does it mean to be wise? And what good is it to be wise? Is it better to be loved by men or to have wisdom and to understand what is going to bring me closer to God? Because that's where we're going to find peace. We can chase social media day and night. We can look for a million likes. But unless we have wisdom in our hearts, I don't know that we'll ever find peace. More on that after the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And in today's show, I'm trying to figure out how do I impart wisdom to my children and to future generations? Because really, once I, whatever I impart to my children, they will carry on to future generations. This is where I think that when we ask ourselves, what's wrong with our youth today? We got to look at where were the parents? What were they imparting? What, what were the prior generations imparting on our current youth? Because, you know, it's not like we, we don't, we're not born into this world with full knowledge in our minds. We have to acquire that knowledge. It comes from outside of us. We learn things and, we're, and we learn how to think about things and we're guided in a certain way. You know, this is kind of like why I tell people, don't turn psychiatry into something that it's not. A lot of people get frustrated and get upset when, when they say, you know, psychiatry doesn't take the soul into account. And when, when people are treating people, they don't take the soul into account. Well, I think that, you know, that's not, that's not what psychiatry is supposed to do necessarily. That's what the psychiatrist is supposed to do. No different than, you know, if I'm doing primary care, if I'm, if I'm taking care of your high blood pressure, I don't take the soul into account necessarily when I'm, when I'm checking your blood pressure until you need blood pressure medication or when I'm checking your cholesterol levels and tell you that you might benefit from, from cholesterol medication or not. You know, I don't sit there and say, well, because you have a soul, um, this is, this is what you need to do. Psychiatry, really what it, what it comes down to is it's not telling you, um, what it is you're supposed to think. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there to evaluate whether you're thinking, whether your thinking process is rational or not. You know, once you have a, a, a rational thinking process, okay, that's great. And then you can, then you need to decide for yourself what it is that you're supposed to think about. But I'm able to, to decipher and say, yeah, you're, you're thinking clearly. You're not thinking clearly. That's the, the, the important thing. Now, one of the dangers comes in in saying, well, what does it mean that you're supposed to think of? You know, and that's where I think that's where the soul comes in. This is where we need to hear more from our priests, from our bishops. This is what you're supposed to be thinking. This is what you're supposed to be putting in your mind. You're supposed to be reading the Bible. You're supposed to be understanding wisdom. You're supposed to be understanding the teachings of Christ. You're supposed to understand that what we have come to learn 
through salvation history and what God has revealed himself to us, or one, that God has revealed himself to us, and this is how God has revealed himself, and this is what you're supposed to think. That's the job of our bishops and priests. As a psychiatrist, I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to evaluate, are you thinking clearly or not? And so obviously, it makes a, a, a big difference. It's kind of like, now now we got to bring it back. Now that I know because of salvation history and what the priests and, and bishops have told me as far as who we are, now I can apply that to my psychiatry. But this is where, you know, when we look at medicine, it'd be no different than, than looking at medicine and saying, oh yeah, you know, the, the, you can do all these things. You can do in vitro fertilizations. You know, it's possible to perform abortions. It happens. The question is, should we be doing that? That's the difference. That's what now where we, the, the professionals have to turn to the church and to the higher power as far as saying, hey, there's something greater than this, than the science that I've learned. You know, same for the psychiatrist. I understand what rational thought is. Now that you are thinking rationally, well, we got to turn to our faith to see what it is that we're supposed to be thinking of, um, not whether we're thinking rationally or not. So it's an interesting place to be because when I think about teaching my children, I, I think about, I say this because as a psychiatrist, I don't sit there and, and psychoanalyze my kids necessarily. You know, I can tell if they're depressed or they're frustrated or they're angry. Sure, those are emotions that are normal to everybody. But where am I supposed to impart knowledge to my kids? People say, well, you're a psychiatrist. You can analyze. No, that's great. I can tell if they're thinking rationally or not thinking rationally. Sure, if somebody comes to me and tells me, hey, this is not my arm. And I say, no, yeah, actually, that is your arm. You're not thinking clearly right now. Let's help you think clearly. But the difference is, where am I going to impart wisdom to my kids? I got to turn to the Bible. I'm not going to find it in the DSM. I'm not going to find wisdom in, in primary care. I'm not going to find wisdom in taking care of your liver. I'm going to know how to take care of your liver. But the reality is, wisdom is a higher calling. The, the idea of what am I supposed to think? How am I, now that my body's working correctly or I'm thinking rationally, what is it that I'm supposed to do with that? Well, now it means that I'm thinking in a way and I'm functioning in a way that I have the capacity to get closer to God. Well, how am I going to do that? That's where I'm going to turn to the Bible for my kids. That's where I'm going to say, hey, let's look, open the book of Proverbs and see what wisdom we can find. Let's look at chapter 10. I like chapter 10 a lot because it's, it, it really hits points. It's really, you know, the, each verse is, is just kind of is rich. And this is where you, you kind of got to take it one step at a time. So chapter 10 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow for his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. What does that mean? That's pretty cool right there. Treasure, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. It means that, you know, your treasures, whatever you, you gain from being underhanded or, or being wicked, well, they're not going to profit your soul, obviously. But if you're righteous, if you're doing the right things, if you're a righteous person, if you're a just man, as they said, St. Joseph was a just man, it delivers from death. It means that long after you're gone, long after you're buried, that what you did is going to reverberate uh, in eternity and it's going to affect the world. That's really where the power comes in. That's where the true wisdom comes in. But do you believe that in your heart? You know, is, 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 is that truly where, where you think that your fame is going to lie, so to speak? The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A son who gathers in summer is prudent, but a son who sleeps in harvest brings shame. That's pretty powerful right there. You know, I, I think of this not just for what I'm going to teach my kids, but what about myself? You know, I'm a son too. A son who gathers in summer is prudent, 
but a son who sleeps in harvest brings shame. It means that when everything was good to be had, when, when spiritually you could have done the right thing and you slept through it and you decided not to participate because you were too busy being dead to whatever was spiritually uh, prudent and good, meaning that maybe you were awake to the ways of the world, maybe you were awake to something else, you were just sleeping to the spiritual harvest, you're going to bring shame. Do you want to be responsible for bringing shame? Do I? I don't want to be responsible for that. Blessings are on the heads of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. That's interesting. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hmm. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will not. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. So this is, I think that that's powerful right there for our modern day and age when kids want to be famous. Well, I just, I say kids, when any of us want to be famous, when, when people are more worried about how many hits did I get on social media versus did I teach my children the right thing to do? You know, if people want their legacy, the memory of the righteous is a blessing. What is your legacy going to be that, that you, you know, brought this great program to your company and that, um, you know, because of that, all of a sudden, you know, the, so many people are being more rich. You know, is, is that the memory that you, that you want to leave? The memory of the righteous is a blessing. Or is your memory going to be such that people are going to say, yeah, remember that? I, I better get closer to Christ. It's kind of like thinking of the saints. You know, I don't know any of the saints who were, are saintly or famous for their worldly goods or for being rich. I think this is where we look at saints and, and we look at them as examples of, you know, what is that memory? What, what is, why do they have a legacy, you know, for us to, to contend with or to think about? because they were righteous and they're teaching me what I need to do to be righteous. And they're reminders to me that the world eh, is, is passing and that they set their eyes on something greater. They were willing to give up things of this world to set their eyes on something greater. The name of the wicked will rot. If that's what you remember for, for evil things, your name's not going to last or it's not actually, you know, people might see it, but it's just going to be rotten. It's going to be ugly. This is where I'd say, be careful to my kids about, if you do go on social media and I'm not aware of it, you know, and you're putting things on there, because I would advise them to not even have an account, um, you got to be careful because it can be twisted. It can be, it can be turned to rot. The wise of heart will heed commandments, but the prating fool will come to ruin. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. Well, that's interesting right there, because if we're walking with integrity, if we're walking, thinking, knowing that we're doing the right thing, there's nothing, not, nothing to worry about. You know, if you don't any, owe anybody anything, you're not going to, um, you're not going to fear anything. You're not going to be worried in terms of being found out, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. Well, what does that mean? It will be found out, which means that if you're constantly perverting your ways, you're always at least at some level worried about being found out. You know, it's going to be found out, but you're always worried. You're always, you're always a little scared. You're always feeling like, I hope nobody finds out. I hope nobody knows about these things. That's interesting. He who winks the eye causes trouble, but he who boldly reproves makes peace. He who winks the eye causes trouble, but he who boldly reproves makes peace. You know, it's interesting right there. The wink of the eye means like an affirmation, right? You give somebody a wink, like, yeah, go for it. You give them an affirmation, but what this is really saying is wink the eye causes trouble because you're affirming somebody maybe in their wicked ways. Maybe you're saying, ah, eh, it's okay, go for it. Um, but he who boldly reproves makes peace. Boldly reproving is scary. It can be hard because how are you going to tell somebody what to do or not do? But at the same time, if you're able to do that, 
you're going to make peace. You're going to, and there's nothing more valuable than peace and wisdom right there. If you have peace and wisdom, wisdom will probably bring you peace. There's nothing more powerful than that. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Again, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. I think that that right there is something that I would want to put up on the wall somewhere, especially in a household. You know, we're people, we're going to have moments where we're not going to like each other, where we're going to get angry with each other, but that are we going to be holding on to hatred? Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses, especially in a family. This is what I wanted to tell my kids more than anything else, not just because, not just while, while we're living under the same roof, but for their future. You're going to get married. It's not going to be easy. Or you're going to find a career. It's not going to be easy. You're going to be a priest or a nun. It's not going to be easy. And as human beings, we have the potential to either bring about a lot of good or we have the potential to, to not. We have the potential to bring about our own anger and frustration and cause problems in certain places. And a lot of this has to do with hatred. And hatred just really means holding on to that which is negative, holding on to that which we don't like. And what it really comes down to is a lack of forgiveness. Are we holding on to hatred? Are we holding on to things and we're not letting them go? We're not forgiving people. And what's going to happen? It's going to stir up strife. So we ask ourselves, why is my household not at peace? Have I not forgiven my family members? In fact, have I not forgiven somebody outside of my family? Am I carrying a burden? But love covers all offenses. Am I willing to let go of things? Am I willing to let go of any hatred I might have in my heart and have love in my heart? Because once I have my love, I will cover everything. That will, And it doesn't mean hide offenses necessarily. To cover offenses means to kind of cover for it, to pay for it, to make up for it. More Proverbs when we come back from the break. All right, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today, we are looking at the book of Proverbs and seeing what wisdom we can devise from this book for ourselves, for future generations, and for the current generation of people. Um, you know, we look to the world for so many different things, and we are always checking the news and checking social media and looking at all these different things um, to gain our insight and our uh, information. And how many times do we turn to the Bible and say, hey, let's look to see what knowledge I can gain from the Bible instead of from the current uh, um, internet, you know, websites, from the social media posts, from what others' opinions are. Why don't we look at the Word of God and see what opinions we can devise from there? Well, let's look at this. If we've been doing that a lot, I like this this verse. <laughs> I think about this for myself. Uh, this is Proverbs chapter 30, verse 32. If you have been foolish exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. That's interesting to say, because if you've been foolish exalting yourself, if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. I like that. Cover your mouth. Um, a lot of it just comes from what we say. You know, a lot of times we speak, and this is where I think about the internet and and social media and things like that. How many times do we just speak because we want to speak? How many times do we say things just to be a part of something without actually knowing what we're saying? You know, sometimes they say silence is golden or better to stay quiet and let people think that you're not very smart than to speak and let them be aware of how smart you are not. You know, it's, it's these things where if I've been foolish and exalting myself and thinking that I'm greater than I am, 
or if I've been devising evil, if I cover my mouth, that'll probably stop a lot of it. I like that, you know, because a lot of it is just chatter out there. You know, people just need to say something to say something and all of a sudden they just feel so important. You know, you say something in, 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 on social media or on the internet, you make a, a little comment and you feel like you've changed the world. Um, and that's just how it goes sometimes. But the reality is we got to take a stop and, and humble ourselves and say, what if I just don't say anything? Where does that leave me? Because where was the world before all this? You know, we couldn't do that. And yet we had to find meaning somehow. Well, my kids, this is what I would say. And if I say my kids, I speak to my children. You know, there's lots to be learned in the Bible. Um, because what it really says is this. If we look at chapter 31, verse 8, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are left desolate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, maintain the rights of the poor and the needy. Well, those are two very conflicting verses, right? Because if I've been foolish and exalting myself, I've been, I've been opening my mouth uh, to devise evil or to exalt myself, I can use my mouth for that. Or what it's really saying is when you're going to use your mouth, open it for those who have no mouth. Don't, in other words, you're not even speaking for yourself. You're not speaking about yourself. Speak for those who don't have a voice, um, for the rights of all who are left desolate. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Maintain the rights of the poor and the needy. So it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about us. You know, this is interesting. Um, and then this is, a, this is a, the, the end of, of Proverbs, chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. You know, this speaks of, of something that might not be very popular in society today, but I think it needs to be said because this is what I would read to both my son and my daughters. And I would say, think about this and think about what it means and think about what it says because it, it's a little countercultural to what society is saying right now uh, about women. But I think it's far more wise because it's more, it speaks more to the heart of the woman, not to what she's doing. It's not about does she have a job outside the home or not outside the home, but it speaks to what the heart of the woman is, what the heart of a wife is, what the role of a man and a woman are in, in a way in a household. But let's read these and see what it means. And if anybody has any comments on these or anything like that, feel free to email me. My email is drdr.sandovalvmpr at gmail.com. That's Sandoval. And then VMPR as in Virgin Most Powerful Radio at gmail.com. So let's read this one. Chapter 31, verse 10 through 31. Who can find a good wife? How many men think about that? How many of us are raising sons and we're hoping that they marry a good wife? Yes, that term exists. So I think that that would be a countercultural term already. I think in society, would they say, well, what do you mean a good wife? Aren't all wives good? Well, it's like saying, well, are not all husbands good? Well, let's see what this says. Who can find a good wife? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. That's a big one. You know, the heart of her husband trusts her. Do you want to be trusted by your husband? And to my son, I would say, if you're thinking about marrying somebody, do you trust her in your heart? Do you trust her in your heart? Do you trust her that she's going to be faithful to you? Does she respect you? Does it seem that she understands what she's getting into here? from a Catholic perspective. She does him good and no harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Well, isn't that expected of husbands as well? Husbands and wives, let's work with willing hands. What does that mean? Does it mean she has to work with her hands? No, it means a lot more that from her heart, she's willing to act for the family, to do things for the family. The same way that a husband should be expected to do that to work with willing hands, to say, yes, I am willing to make sure that things are done in the home. She likes 
she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. That's important right there. She is like the ships of the merchant. Merchant. She brings her food from afar. I don't think this is talking necessarily about, you know, the food that we consume. We can look at it that way, you know, as the food on the table, the actual food that we eat. But this is different. This is she like she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. My son, what I would tell you for this one is look at what's in her heart and look at what's deep in her heart and look at where she's coming from because she is going to feed the family in different ways. She's going to feed the family, not just with food. She's going to feed the family by creating a culture in the household. She's going to create the environment of the household, which you, my son, need to provide. So you need to provide a place for a happy culture, but you need to find somebody who you think has a happy demeanor, a happy heart, who understands that marriage is going to be hard, but is willing to feed the family with love is really what it comes down to. It goes on to say, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and tasks for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She clothes her loins with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Well, this is important. You know, what makes a good wife? Remember, this started off with who can find a good wife? She rises while it is yet night. She's up before everybody. She's always thinking of her family is really what that says. More than anything else, there's lots of moms who rise before night. I know that my wife sometimes is up before everybody making lunches and getting things ready uh, for the day. She provides food for her household. She can, you know, so she's up before night. And a lot of times that doesn't necessarily mean physically. I mean, it's not like, oh yeah, so oh, you, my son, make sure you find a woman who is going to wake up in the middle of the night. No, I think it means that is her heart for her family. You know, is she already prepared for her family, regardless of the time of day, regardless of the challenge? It's not easy to rise before, you know, the, the break of day. None of us like to get up when it's still dark, but we understand sometimes that it's when it's dark, when it's the off season, so to speak, that that's where a lot of preparation takes place for the family. She considers a field and buys it with a fruit. Let's see, there was another one here. She clothes her loins with strength and makes her arms strong. It means that she's constantly trying to improve for her family. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, are we putting the family first? This is interesting because when I think about my son um, getting older, and I think about my daughters too, I mean, this is for both of them, really more than anything else, is what does it take to create a good household? And in today's day and age, I think we've forgotten the power of a mom, the power of the house, you know, we say the housemaker, and that, that was a bad term sometimes to say, oh, she stays a stay-at-home mom, that's a bad term. You know, back in the day, saying mom, that's just what it meant. You know, if a woman had a job and she got pregnant, it was understood that she was going to leave her job and dedicate herself to the household. You know, we call it a housewife. I don't like that term. I think it's just about a family, and I think it's we all have different roles to play. That's not to say that a woman can't have a job. Shoot, why not? You know, eventually when the kids are older and my wife and I always talk about what she wants to do and, and what kind of job she wants to have, you know, she has her career, she has her, her college degrees, but we both decided, you know, even for myself, I'm not going to chase certain positions at work. I'm not going to try to move up in, in the corporate ladder, so to speak, because that's not necessarily what's going to be best for my family. You know, we both said we're going to be dedicated to the family and that's what's going to be priority one. And we're going to put our strength, as it says here, um, towards the family. And that's, that's all that, that it comes down to. You know, everything I do, if I go to work, it's because I'm trying to provide for the family. If my wife stays home, it's because she's trying to manage the household and create a culture of, of Catholicism and, 
uh, bringing us all closer to God. And that's important. You know, society has forgotten a lot about that because we sometimes make positions, jobs, titles, our gods. You know, oh, you need to be the CEO of a company. You need to run a company. That's what that's what makes it important. I hear that at work all the time. Like, who's going to be in charge of this position? Who's going to be the, uh, who's going to, you know, I'll, I'll take on this position, but only if I can be the, be the director. You know, that happens all the time. For me, that's not where my priorities lie. Uh, that's not what I feel fulfills me. What fulfills me is coming home and saying, hey, what are the kids doing? What are we going to do this weekend? What are we, how are we going to have fun? But we make a decision. That's a choice. That's a choice that we have to decide to make. And that's what I want to teach my kids. Hey, every day you are making a choice. You're going to be making a decision. Son, are you, are you going to find a woman who you're going to be driven strictly by her beauty, by her material and worldly goods? Or are you going to look into her heart and see where from afar she's bringing her culture to the family? Let's see, this goes on to say, she puts her hands to the staff. Let me hang on one second here. She puts her hands into the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hand to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Well, it's interesting because if you notice this, she is generous. A good wife says here, she's generous. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches her hand to the needy. Right? So she understands in her heart. Is this somebody who understands and has compassion for others? That's an important question to ask. You know, this is wisdom for both of us because I got to ask myself, am I going to support that? What if all of a sudden my wife tells me she wants to do, uh, you know, give, be generous to somebody and I say, hey, what are you talking about? That's our money. I'm not going to be generous that way. You know, this is where, does she have a good heart? I think that that's going to make a big difference in terms of her being generous to the family as well. It's not just about others, but is she generous to the family? That's important to consider. You know, this is where I'm going to sit down with my son and say, hey, these are things you need to consider. Don't just be driven by beauty. Don't be driven by the material. You know, beauty is great, but it's going to last so long. Think about the culture you're going to create in your family. This says, she makes herself coverings. Her clothing is fine, linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Well, that's important. I hear the music now, but let's read a couple more things real quick. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Do we want to be excellent in the eyes of our children? Do we want to have our children call us blessed? And do we want to feel that you know, we are providing this for future generations so that my children as well will gain wisdom and their children will see them as praiseworthy and honorable. These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. I would say sit down with your family, open the book of Proverbs, look through. It's a, you know, 31 chapters, very rich. It can be dense. We can take it a little bit at a time, but I think it'll help our future generations and our current generations to gain wisdom, not from the internet, but from God. Until next time, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic.